oh, Peter. In Texas, we might say the sweet-sounding patronizing insult, bless his heart. Peter's gone and messed up big time. See, poor little fellow was overly eager about following Jesus, but he got all all caught up in his own reputation, and he's gone done and denied Jesus. Bless his heart. Do you say bless him here? Is that right? Does it have the same kind of insulting, patronizing tone? You might say bless him love, or I, I don't know. Either way, things are not looking good for Peter. You can bet three is far from his lucky number, as Jesus predicted that he would deny him three times. And then he gave Peter a bit of a trial run by asking him to stay awake and keep watch while he prayed. Jesus tested him three times, and yep, you got it, he failed every time. Bless his tired little soul. Then came the real test. And like knowing the tragic ending of a movie before you watch it, Peter fulfilled that prophecy Jesus made and denied Jesus before a servant girl and her friends three times before the cock crowed twice. Poor dear, he'll never be able to go near chickens again. So old Rocky, you know, his name means rock. I'm going to call him Rocky because I'm a nerd and I do things like that. He's feeling pretty awful. By the end of the text, he's even crying and whinging, minging, no, whinging, whinging away at the fact that he denied Jesus. Why would he fail to stand up for Jesus anyway? He's been with Jesus the whole time following him. He's the overzealous one who said, don't just wash my feet, wash my head and my whole body as well. He's the one who liked to try walking on water. And um, he's still being a bit dramatic. He doesn't just promise not to deny Jesus. Peter loves a little hyperbole, and so he says he would die before he would deny Jesus. And in the garden later, after already failing to stay awake three times, Peter decides that according to the Gospel of John... He should defend Jesus against a crowd of soldiers as they come to arrest him. And so he cuts off the ear of the high priest slave, who incidentally is related to the slave girl who later questions him about following Jesus. Peter, bless his heart, he got a little overexcited again. Jesus rebukes him, and in the John telling, Jesus heals the ear of the slave. David Lamont's song and Nigel's presentation kind of helped us see that in a new way. This text says that after Jesus was arrested, all of his followers fled. But it seems Peter didn't go very far because he followed along behind them, even into the courtyard of the high priest. As Jesus is being mocked and questioned and made to prophesy as the Son of God, Peter is below in the courtyard, warming his hands at the fire with the soldiers whose hands had arrested Jesus earlier in the night. One of the servant girls of the high priest recognizes him and accuses him of being with Jesus earlier, 
But just like that, Peter denies it, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And the stupid bird crows, the beginning of a rooster phobia for sure. The servant girl doesn't back down, though, and she gets others involved telling them that she saw him with Jesus, and not only that, but that he is one of them. The lines between us and them are very clear, and Peter does not want to be the only one on the other side of that line. And so, he denies it again. Finally, the whole crowd confronts him, and Peter, getting more afraid, and remember, Peter likes a little hyperbole, doesn't just deny it. He curses and swears an oath that he is not one of those Jesus followers. And that darn bird crows again. And Peter weeps. When we look at Peter, it is so easy to see his obvious mistakes. How he wasn't willing to give up his status and pride and safety for his faith in Jesus. How he would rather warm himself himself at the fires of comfort than admit what it was like to be a them and to live out in the cold. How he should never have made a promise to Jesus that he wasn't willing to keep. How he maybe could have done with a little less flowery, overzealous language and a little more commitment. I wonder if us looking outside in at Peter, seeing his mistakes and denying Jesus, is a little like people who look from the outside in at us. How people on the margins see our obsession with money and power so much clearer than we do. How those on the outside of Christianity see our hypocrisy and judgment toward those who are different from us. How Catholics in this place see the power we might give guilt and order in our theology perhaps at the expense of reveling in life's goodness and God's mystery. How even our family dynamics are sometimes better understood by outsiders than we who live in their history and complications and tension. If hindsight is twenty twenty, then outside insight, does that make sense? Outside insight is just as clear. The temptation with scripture, like I've said before, is often to baptize us as right and them as wrong, using it to point out how we would never make the same mistakes. But friends, when our status or power or reputation is on the line, you can bet we'd all pull a Peter. And so we need to hear this part of his story, and remember this is only one part of it, with humility and openness to how the Spirit might be convicting us of the same crime of denying Jesus, maybe with our lifestyles of individualism and self-sufficiency, and with our systems of power and oppression, even in our church, even in our homes, even in our workplace, that are so commonplace that we don't even see them. Now, I'm not trying to get you all to start weeping like Peter did. You okay? What I'm trying to do is help us see that 
Peter and we have a lot in common, and we maybe need to give the guy a break. So whatever happened to this poor, dear Peter, this crumbling rock who stumbled after Jesus with tears and violence and denial? Did Jesus cast him out, abandon him to his past mistakes, and say that he deserved whatever it was he got? Of course not. See, why Peter's behavior is anything but consistent, Jesus is always consistent, all the way to the cross and beyond it. Always one to forgive, one to break down systems of oppression and injustice, one to heal the wounds society inflicts on itself, especially on the least of these. Jesus does what he does. He forgives Peter. And not only that, but he takes this crumbling rock and makes him the rock on which the church is built. Peter goes on from his past denials to become a remarkable follower of Jesus, one who gets to announce the coming of the Spirit poured equally on everyone, one who actually heals people, one who gets to talk about the reign of God. The grace of God doesn't just forgive us. It doesn't just heal us but it provides an entirely new way of being in the world, which is what Peter experienced. I wonder if Peter would have been the same without his mistakes. It's interesting that while Jesus wasn't actually going to witness Peter denying him, he took the time to tell Peter, I know you're going to deny me three times. Why did he do this? I actually think that Jesus knew the big picture and knew that maybe Peter would never get over his denial of Jesus. But by Jesus acknowledging that he knew what Peter's sin was going to be and then later choosing Peter as the rock of the church, as a great leader, Jesus was saying, you are forgiven. And there was absolutely no doubt about that. And the doubt of forgiveness is not something that God has to worry about. But we as people doubt our forgiveness. We need assurance of it. I sometimes think that the even greater miracle of Peter's story is not just that he was forgiven and made new, but that he became a part of a community who had all in this text says, all fled and left Jesus, but who were gathered together by the Spirit to start again, to try it again, to get another chance. I think there was probably an element of needing to forgive each other in this, and I think sometimes human forgiveness is something that is harder to grasp, longer to find than God's forgiveness, and that especially includes forgiving ourselves. Now, we prods, can I say Protestants, talk an awful lot about grace. Grace is something that is a huge part of our theology. And we say grace is, okay, I've heard different things. One time I heard grace was, it was on a bracelet, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yuck. I don't like that. Okay. I've heard another thing, that grace is God's unmerited favor which I'm a little more comfortable with. 
But I think we might say grace is God's unmerited favor. But if we live our lives in worried, frenetic, perfectionist ways, as if it all depended on us, we deny Jesus as much as Peter did. See, if we truly thought the grace of God was all-encompassing and transformative, would we hold ancient grudges just for the sake of defining us and them? Would we be harder on our families than on anyone else? Would we need someone to earn our forgiveness before we would ever consider giving it? Would we live in a way that protects our own and doesn't really care about who we step on in the process? Would we cling to those things in our past that we regret and refuse to forgive ourselves for them when God has long ago forgiven us? This story about Peter and about Christ preparing to go to the cross is imbued with grace. It sets the stage for God's ultimate act of grace in Jesus. It reminds us that, yes, we are all in need of God's grace, but that often it is right before us, and we fail to see it out of pride or fear or guilt. So let's learn from Peter, from this crumbling rock, that God's grace covers our entire lives, and every part of our story is essential to the telling of it. By the grace of God, we are who we are, good and bad. One of my favorite theologians, before your eyes glaze over, because I just used the word theologians, first I'll say, if you've ever had a thought about God in your life, you are a theologian. hate to tell you. Anyway, you are. But one of my favorite theologians is a man named Frederick Buechner. And I maybe have shared this quote with you before. I can't remember because I just say it all the time. It's like Lord of the Rings to me. I just can't help but talk about it. Um, But Frederick Wiegner had a really difficult life. His father um, um, committed suicide when he was 10 years old. And Frederick Wiegner went on to be one of the most formative Presbyterian ministers, and I know that sounds, ooh, formative Presbyterian minister, but, you know, he was a really amazing person, and he still is writing books and still um, has said some amazing things. And I think he says more about grace than about anything else. And so I'm going to close with this quote from Frederick Buechner, who sometimes I like to call Freddie B. as if we were friends. He's 82, anyway. Um, Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, and smell your way into the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. In all its holy and joyful moments, and all its crumbling and stumbling moments, life is grace. Thanks be to the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. The God who doesn't abandon us to the things we've done wrong. The God who makes all things new, even us, even we who don't really want to change.
the God who gives us the gift of grace. Amen.